A very warm welcome, literally speaking here in East London. And thank you for joining our webinar today. It's titled uh, Supporting Successful Careers Despite Learning uh, D Difficulties. I'm Taryn, I'm the marketing manager here in Kona. Um, I am doing this webinar from home because our uh, office, our head office here moved yesterday and typical Murphy's Law, they're busy installing the fiber wiring, etc. right now. Um, so really I'm pre-apologizing barking dogs or even worse, if hardy dogs start going crazy, my apologies, typical. Um, I'm excited for today's topic. It's geared slightly differently to our usual topics that we put out within Kona, and it will actually be the last one we're doing for this year. Uh, I will be going off screen, and, uh, but I'll remain online should you have any technical difficulties, etc. Please, everybody on the call and attendees as well, use the chat functionality. Go ahead, let us know where you're from, what you do, etc., and introduce yourselves to us. Um, feel free to chat throughout the discussion. Um, there will be a Q&A session towards the end of the call. May I please ask that you try and use the Q&A function, which you'll see on the bottom of your screen, uh, to ensure that we don't miss any questions. Alternately, if you would like um, to use the raise hand functionality, then I can unmute you if you'd like to speak. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our panel today. Uh, we have a Tez Brent, who is, uh, or Natasha Tez Brent, I always get tongue-tied, uh, who is Encona's Chief Operations Officer, and she's also a former consultant and division lead at Cummins and Assistant Plant Manager at Ford South Africa, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, uh, we're very pleased to have you chairing this uh, discussion today, Tez. Uh, also from Ford, we've got Yota Baron, who is the Chief Financial Officer, and she's got over 32 years global experience in the motor industry, um, including a number of international assignments. Last but certainly not least, we've got Sharon Brewer, who is a principal at uh, POP School, which forms part of the Young Health, Cent Young Health Center in Pretoria. Uh, Sharon is also a, a qualified special educational needs coordinator, and she found her passion a bit for education a bit later in life after a number of years in, you guessed it, the manufacturing sector. <laughs> um, we're all based in South Africa, so some of the topics may focus a little bit, discussion points may focus a little bit around South African legislation, etc., but I'm pretty sure it's certainly valid no matter where you are in the world. Uh, so let's kick it off. Tez, do you want to start by telling us how you all met and why you're discussing this topic today? Well, thank you very much, Taryn. I really appreciate this opportunity. So, and also thank you um, for my fellow uh, panelists who have joined me on this conference. Um, it's really a pleasure actually hosting it with yourselves um, and being able to bring across such an important topic. Um, and how we've all met is, uh, I guess, uh, mainly through my lifespan. Um, Yota and myself have been together um, through our four years, um, and Yota was a mentor to me um, for a number of years, especially um, with me coming through the ranks as a female um, and um, in the manufacturing facility and um, leaning on Yota a number of times for direction and coaching and sounding board. 
Um, Sharon has been instrumental um, in my son's life, um, helping him, giving him guidance and direction in helping him with his development. So also very instrumental um, role um, in, in our family uh, and bringing us support. So that's, that's how we've met. And through this discussion, um, I've introduced Sharon and Yota to each other. Um, and, you know, it's always been a passion of mine um, over a number of years. I've been doing a number of talks at different schools, um, getting the education in and around um, members who are dyslexic or ADHD, um, getting the awareness out there um, so that people can actually understand better about this topic. Um, because I, I find that there's been a number of misconceptions and misunderstanding at, um, when someone is dyslexic or ADHD. And I believe that through a lot of education, getting people um, having a better understanding helps them actually interact with people like that. And, and then they don't have this stigma or this very surprise reaction um, between people. Um, so which I've had over the years, um, keeping in mind um, why I'm passionate about it is I am actually dyslexic and ADHD. Um, and that's how I've been bringing out my message is to actually use that to um, help people understand that better. Um, so that's basically where I'm coming from, but I'd like to hear from my fellow uh, colleagues where they believe their passion and why it's come about. So if I can ask uh, Sharon, where, where did you see your passion come from? Because as Taryn said, it came in much later. I was a child um, um, the last day of matric that literally went onto the field, burnt all my books and said, school will never see me again. That was me. And I decided to study communications, language, and then um, I also had psychology as a third subject. I never believed that, that I would actually become an educator, although I had a bursary to go and study education. And much later in life, I realized, I honestly just realized that I have a gift to see potential within others where some people just see emptiness or lack. And I just was able to see that so many people would be able to be developed and um, really reach their full potential if there was just different support and if society just had a different view of what we see as our expectation of normal. Um, and this led me to education because I just felt, let me start with, let me start in education. This is where it's, it's at the coalface. You can really make a difference. Once I um, had gone back to university and started studying again and became an educator, I very quickly realized that this wasn't enough for me because now I could see that there were so many children that had unbelievable untapped potential and could do so much, but they were just slipping through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And I thought if all of us as educators just allow this to continue, just let children slip through the cracks, what is going to happen to society eventually? Because here are people that can give so much, bring so much, and yet we are just not 
doing what can be done. And this became, um, I'm going to say, more than a fascination, but even an obsession, to just start to really re-educate myself um, and explore this. And then the wonderful opportunity that clinched it for me was being able to work at the Young Health Center. And there I could firsthand, I could really see if you have the right support and if your educators and therapists have the training and the knowledge, and if there's incredible commitment from parents, the learners themselves, um, the staff, it's honestly as if miracles can happen. And this, it is just something that is inspiring to me. Yeah, no, most definitely. I don't disagree. And Yota, how did it come about for you? I mean, how did you want to become so passionate about this topic? Um, sorry, Yota, you on mute. My apologies. I think it's it's a lot of life experiences, but I think it started out um, with our oldest daughter having attention deficit and understanding that she didn't fit into the normal classroom situation. And the anxiety that I had as a parent around that um, and wanting, you know, her confidence not to be impacted at all. Um, and the journey that we then embarked on, um, which is, you know, there's not always a lot out there. Um, you know, if you go to therapists and, and, and doctors, they, they throw, you know, pills at it and that sort of thing and how to make all of the right decisions. Um, she ended up for a year in remedial um, and I think that helped a lot. The teacher uh, was very, you know, capable of, of assisting my husband and myself and navigating through that. But, you know, that journey with her um, through her schooling uh, was not always easy, not easy for her at all. And in fact, she's on the call today, um, nor was it for us. So, but uh, what I wanted to, why I wanted to participate, first of all, I wanted to participate because of you. Um, and, and the journey we've walked and we'll talk a little bit more of how I recognized uh, that that you were different um, and you could bring you know people that are different can bring diversity into the workplace that's the passion for me as well um, and I can and I can just report that with my daughter it's exactly the same she works in corporate today and is highly successful very proud of her but she's worked walked a long and difficult journey in many times but what happens to you in the school environment that that is, is made for one size fits all does not mean that your child or you as a young person can't look forward to success out there. You definitely can. And, and I know in our conversation today, by the time we are done here, people are going to understand that both from you and Sharon, uh, we've had some conversations and, and it's been absolutely inspiring. So that's why I'm here today. Yeah. So, and I mean, I couldn't agree more with you. I think, you know, to me as well, you know, if I echo that, I think it's so important that kids out there um, and parents out there that are having this anxiety feeling, um, you know, and feel like, um, you know, they themselves, either they don't have a future or they feel fear that their children don't have a future or haven't got the ability to get an education or go to university or go to college or one of those things. 
I think it, it's so critical for us to have everyone understand it is a possibility. Um, and there's so many examples out there, like you spoke about your daughter, um, I can speak about myself, Sharon can speak about her own children um, from her school. Um, so it, to me, it, it is so critical that um, one, they the educate, you know, getting the point of how, how people can get over it, um, you know, that you can get over it. Um, and then there is a future and there, there is acceptance. I think Sharon, you touched sides with the fact that, you know, you said to us, um, we need to, as uh, communities, we need to understand the world is starting to change and it has changed a really a hailing of a lot versus when I was at school and I was struggling um, versus what we see today. Um, and I can also do testimonials to that in, in regards to how I've been accepted in every single one of the companies I've worked to, with um, and for um, and, and not made, made to feel any different. Um, but, you know, we, we're talking about dyslexia, but um, Sharon, what is dyslexia? I mean, what is ADA, I'm sorry, ADD and, and ADHD? I mean, we're talking about pretty big topics here. So firstly, um, it starts off with understanding that we have visible disability and we have invisible disability. And there seems to be greater support in a sense for a disability when it's visible. Um, it, 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 it's when it comes to someone has some form of a learning impairment or a learning disability, uh, something which is actually really going to impact on their life and needs support and intervention. But if it's not clearly visible, we just can't see it with the naked eye. It's immediately, seems as if the will to find out what, what is holding this person back at this point, only at this point, but what is holding them back right now, there is less of that will. So if you look at these specifics that we, we've got dyslexia, ADD and ADHD, they would then be classed as invisible disability. Now, I was explaining to you, um, and when you and Yota and, and, and I were chatting, Taryn was chatting, I was explaining that in terms of the language of disability as such, disability studies, the language is contentious in itself because disability sounds like you are disabled from participating or there's something wrong with you. So there's a lot of discussion around the terms. Should we be even using this? Should we be saying people are disabled if they have something, um, a learning behavioral, uh, learning or a behavioral issue or something like that? Should we even say they, 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 they're disabled? So we're finding a lot of new language creeping in. So people are saying, I'm differently abled, for example. And then as I was explaining to you guys before, what it really boils down to is within legislation and funding, it's actually within lawmaking and within diagnosing. And diagnostics is important to ensure that the child is going to get the support that they need. So that's why it is referred to as disability. But the term doesn't imply that a person cannot do. 
exactly the opposite. It literally means that you do things in your own way and in a different way. So with dyslexia, dyslexia is a disorder that affects a person's ability to read mainly. That's one of the first signs that you're going to pick up in a young child. You're going to start to pick up that they have difficulty with recognizing words, sequencing words, and that they may do things like they swap letters around. You're going to start to see that there might even be a delay in the language development. So if you are an in-tune person, you are going to actually pick up that for some other reason, my child's language development and speech development might be affected or they don't want to read to me. They already sense that they're struggling. So those are just signs that are going to tell us that my child is not processing language in the same way that someone else is processing language. Then, interesting, all three of these um, disabilities then, if I may call them such, that we've listed here, did you know that all three of them have a very strong genetic component? Mm -hmm. So all three of them very often run in families. So you'll find that when a parent has one of these, the chances of the child actually inheriting this is very, very strong. It's a very strong genetic component. Now we look at ADD and ADHD. With ADHD, it is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So you're going to see differences in how that child responds to the ADD child. In certain ways, they'll have attention um, deficit and they'll tune out of situations. But with the ADHD child, you'll find that they probably have far more impulsive, um, may even because of poor impulse control have even more difficulty um, being accepted. We were speaking about the ADD child very often is that child that is quiet and simply gets lost in the classroom. So they go undiagnosed and unassisted where the ADHD child is the one that goes, gets sent from school to school with the comment on the report card that this is a lively child. So when we see that as educators, we already know this lively child is probably a child with ADHD and there's been conversations around medication and eventually instead of understanding how to support the child, the child is simply sent from school to school. So all of these are neurodevelopmental disorders. It simply means our brains develop in different ways. And here, processing in all three of these, how we process information is different, just different. And one thing that I would really like to point out is that people, they, you were speaking of stigma, people think that dyslexia, ADD, and ADHD, or they might think that it, it has a, a link to IQ, to intelligence. It does not have a link to intelligence. And in fact, 
That's another big fight in disability studies because when IQ tests are conducted, so much of it is language-based. Now a child that has either one of these conditions um, will probably lag behind their peers. In fact, definitely lag behind their peers in language development. They simply won't have the words and the ability during um, an IQ test to actually express themselves as well, which don't have the language. But that is nothing, got nothing to do with their actual ability. So that's something we must be, we must understand. It has a genetic component. It affects processing, but it doesn't mean it doesn't relate to IQ. You get extremely smart people, brilliant people like Richard Branson, totally out of the box, brilliant genius with dyslexia. But you also, and it's not also a super thing that, oh, it's wonderful because everyone with dyslexia is going to be Richard Branson. So that means that we have to just be very sensible and approach all of these things with a sensible um, open-mindedness and not go into this with preconceived ideas because then you are going to be surprised and you're not going to be able to help your child or you're going to be that employer that is not open to having someone that has a mind that works differently in your company that can actually enrich it and bring so much to the table. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, Sharon, um, Yota, with your experience around working with your own daughter and Sharon working with the kids in the schools, once, once a child is correctly diagnosed, right, it's not a life sentence, um, putting the right tools around them, um, you know, getting them the right education uh, platform and modules, um, that helps, correct? Am, or am I leading down the wrong path? You're 100% on the right path, though. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, Sharon, just, you know, from a mom's point of view, I think, you know, once you start understanding what the things are they need to cope um, and and putting those tools in place and getting the right educators or, you know, uh, and so forth, that really is uh, super helpful. I just wanted to touch on a point that Sharon made about IQ. It's very interesting to me. Only in recent years not going back too far, we started measuring EQ because that's the key as well. You know, intelligence, when we were at school, you did a multiple choice and someone said, well, you were either smart or you were dumb, right? That was it. There was no, there was no gray areas and there was no in between. And then we started measuring EQ because what I can certainly tell you is that when it comes to EQ, my daughter's EQ must be off the charts. So that's the whole point for people to cope in the workplace. EQ is actually more important than IQ um, because reading between the lines, understanding people and how to work with people is absolutely essential. So I agree with Sharon that, that you know, just a, a multiple choice IQ test is not going to determine what the potential of any child is. And, and, and Yota, you're 100% correct. I mean, if, if you had met me as a child, um, you know, a lot of people thought that I was stupid. I was unteachable. I mean, um, at that point in time, the educator that was working with me, um, who met with my mom, a, a conversation that probably I should not have overheard, but, you know, sneaky as a child, you are, you want to always know everything. And I was standing at the door 
um, and, and hearing this message that, sorry, but your child is unteachable um, is, is where, you know, we need to take recurrence um, and, and, and stop and, and halt. Um, so if there's anything I can, I can say to parents out there that are um, working with their children, don't allow one decision, um, you know, ha go out there. And, th and that's what my mom did. Um, she went out of her way to try and better understand um, what else is there, get another opinion, um, what other different ways. Um, and she never at any point in time stopped or gave up um, on me. Um, and, you know, joining um, the school I did, which was a, a school dedicated to children with learning disabilities in Port Elizabeth, um, it's called Cape Receive. Um, it's, you know, getting together with them, their teaching, um, what they taught me was no different that you would find at any other, what we classify as mainstream, mm. but it was the way they taught it, um, you know. Being dyslexic, um, one of the things that we are really good at is we are visual learners. We are auditory learners. Um, so we've got a, a very good or strong ability to absorb information um, auditory very, very quickly versus probably or equal to someone who would read something. Um, so if, if you gave me something to listen to, um, someone talking, I would absorb it as fast as someone who would be reading something. Um, and that was my way of, of, of learning, all right? Um, and and it's a, another point is that as I got taught very specific tools, specific um, methodologies of learning and absorbing information, was I not able to read at the end of the day? The answer is no, I could read. So with very... Um, very specific dedication um, from the schools, um, I actually developed my skills to be able to read. So I can read now, um, not that I love it. It takes a lot of energy out of me to do it. I can read, I can spell, I'm not great at it. I just see it um, as it's just God never gave me that talent. Um, God gave me lots of other talents, which I absorb from. Um, and, and that's the message I want to give to the parents. Don't give up, right? Um, there is tools out there. There is schools out there like Young Health Center that helps children to develop to their full potential. Um, so, and, and we, need to, we need to work with that to get um, the children through to give them that hope and that, that foundation that they need. Just in terms of that, um, speaking of just harnessing talents and differences, we can really actually just think about this and be very rational and logical about it. Um, just in terms of anybody else that goes to school, school curriculum is very narrow. It's narrow. There is only so many subjects that you can access. And so many times we find that people without any form of a learning disability that never achieved greatness at school were never recognized, mm -hmm. go out into the world and achieve absolutely wonderful things. So that's something that I also always want to remind parents that school is a very small part of a child's life. There is a whole world out there. The world is your oyster. There are so many opportunities that your child will access 
so many other things that your child will be exposed to. Don't, don't you be the one that pigeonholes your child. Don't you be the one that, because your child may uh, struggle with mathematics, um, don't you be the one that keeps on making them feel that they are not smart, um, simply because that particular subject is not something that they excel in. There's a world out there, a changing world, and a world that has become so much more accommodating. So if we look at something that I find fascinating, um, support strategies where it becomes uh, technology-based, because that's where our world is going. Technology is developing such an incredible rate, and there's so much out there. So I become very, very excited. But for example, simple things. Think of being a parent of a child with dyslexia, a young child, even a preschool child. How are you going to assist your child? Now we've already seen that a child like that would not do that well necessarily in um, a test that measures ability simply because they don't have the language. So how can you fix that? Simple things. Technology, definitely, because audiobooks exist. And literally watching good television. It's a wonderful thing to use. Um, good television is fantastic because it's stimulating many senses. The child is listening and the child is also seeing. So it's excellent to do that. But think about using those at home. Um, you'll find that with children with dyslexia, for instance, small children, that they initially are resistant to rhymes and learning nursery rhymes and things like that. You need to persist. You need to have things like a word wall in your home for your child, in their room or wherever. You need to, what you need to do is you have to remove the fear of the word and make them understand that owning words empowers you. And then you need to find all of the technologies that are going to support that. Now, just today at work, I was getting terribly excited about neurotherapy. And neurotherapy is something in terms of assistive technology that is incredible in order to assist children with dyslexia, ADD, ADHD, and even children on the autism spectrum. Um, so that is something that when parents start to now really consider intervention for their child, which should be done early, as quickly as possible, then I'm going to say where we have found fantastic results is a combination of speech and language therapy with neurotherapy, and then of course, the right type of support in the classroom. But you will see an increment in the ability of a child with dyslexia, for example, to recognize words because neurotherapy is in fact a therapy that is used when uh, adults have had a stroke. It is a therapy that is very, very effective to help them to reaccess language if they've lost the language faculty. So 
Um, in terms of technologies out there, there's reading programs free online where your child sees a picture, sees the word, and it will, for example, then ask your child to use a touchpad and spell out cow so that the cow can move. And there's just all, there's so much that is out there. Now, adaptive technology is something completely different. Adaptive technology is when I take an existing technology and I tweak it, individualize it, and adapt it to work better for a particular person. I individualize it. So just the difference between um, adaptive and assistive, but it's very, very exciting if we think about just in terms of limbs, um, think of people that would have been, um, they are Paralympians, but they run on blades, for example, things like that. So the world is a marvelous new world. And to already become despondent just by diagnosis when a child is young, today is something that I would say, but why? Why are you doing this? There's so much out there. There's so much hope. and But you need to become involved. And you need to yourself become absolutely passionate and say that I'm going to invest in my child. And I'm going to make sure that I get what it is that they need so that they can flourish. Sharon, I'd like to just... Yeah, sorry. I just want to make... I don't want to lose the the thought that Sharon actually shared with us, because for me, that just like was kind of an aha moment. And when you're talking about technologies in the future of the world, right? So, you know, Tess, I know you have dyslexia. Uh, I don't know what my problem was, but I'm a useless speller as well, because I, my, first la my first two languages weren't English. So, you know, my saving grace is this spell check today. Mm. I love spell check. You know, so is it that important that you need to be able to spell? Well, yes, it's, you know, it is important, but it's not as important as what it was when we were children because you have spell checks today. Um, you know, and, and then that issue, that deficit that you have becomes, like you said, Sharon, a nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Even to the point where if we look to the future, I'm in the motor industry, you know, what's going to happen with autonomous vehicles, you know, a person that is blind is going to be able to drive a car, essentially. Yeah, exactly. You know, which takes blindness to a nothingness. So I really exactly. loved when you shared that. And I didn't want to lose that thought because for me, that was like really an aha moment that, you know, today your child has a deficit. Tomorrow, technologies will narrow those deficits. So, you know, keep working at it because, you know, those changes will, will come about. Um, and I didn't want to lose that thought. Thank you. So you've got, you got, you got a valid point there, Yosa. I mean, I mean, in today's environment, um, you know, like you say, you've got Spellcheck, um, you know, of recent um, last three, four years in all the companies I've worked with, Ford, um, Cummings, even with Incona, um, you know, they've allowed me to actually... Um, install um, Google Voice. Um, so, so in an actual fact, a lot of the times when I'm needing to type up some of my emails and I'm, I'm, I'm having like that 
not a great day um, and I'm a bit, especially if I'm a bit tired, um, you know, I actually talk to my computer and my computer types it for me. Exactly. Um, and yep. so, you know, I'm, I'm dependent um, and I use technology to my advantage, um, you know, and a lot of people I work with um, and I've worked with some people I've worked for like 10 years um, have never cottoned on or never known because I've never really told them, not that I didn't want to, it's not the fact that I hired it away, um, but it's just never been a topic of discussion. But, you know, it's only very few people, you know, if they're close to me or working very, you know, close to me have, you know, started picking it up. Um, but because of technology, I've, it's, it's not apparent. It's not, um, you know, impossible. Um, even with me getting my university degree, um, you know, so, so that's another point. I mean, I wasn't, it never stopped me from going to go study because I, again, um, used as technology developed, I used technology to support me um, so that I could deliver uh, on what I, I needed to do. Yota, how does Ford go about um, making inclusion um, possible? Um, what are you seeing in and around you um, and, and makes people feel welcomed in the industry? Well, I mean, I just want to go back to kind of when you and I started working together closely. Um, you know, I started noticing that you you were uncomfortable in certain situations, not getting information in advance and so on, because that obviously is your coping strategy to work through things beforehand, etc. Um, and I actually spoke to your boss because you weren't open to telling everybody for obvious reasons of your own. Um, and he confirmed my suspicion. Um, I can't tell you exactly why I thought you had dyslexia and why I put those two things together, but um, it immediately helped me to be able to approach things with you differently and build our relationship differently um, so that you were more comfortable. And I think that in, in the workplace, I'm very fortunate to be working in a company where, where inclusion is really important, making people feel included, making people feel that difference is okay. I think it's also very, not just that it's okay, it's really important because the population is made up of different people and people have different gaps, etc. And I think, you know, as much as it was never spoken about in, in, in earlier years, I think more and more, that's why conversations like what we're having today are so important because you know, it takes the fear out of the situation. It makes people like yourself and people with these deficits more open to telling their boss, hey, uh, you know, here's where I struggle. So if you communicate with me in X, Y, Z way, it's a lot easier for me to absorb. Uh, it's, you know, for me as, as a leader, it makes it so much easier if someone tells me because then I know, hang on, that's why this person behaves in a certain way. And that's why I need to adjust myself so that I can interact with this person and this person can be the best that they can be. Also, our population, coming back to that point, is a population of diverse people. If we don't employ diverse people and people that have all sorts of differences, well, how on earth are we going to ever, uh, you know, put cars on the road that people want and need, right? How on earth are we going to develop the technologies of the future that, that are going to assist people to do, go out there and do what they need to do? So I think, you know, that's what it's about. So inclusion 
is the right thing to do, but it's also important to do for business, right? Because if you want to compete out there, you got to embrace difference. You got to embrace it um, in every way. Um, so that's, you know, that's the way I see it. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be in a company that, that looks at it that way as well. Um, yeah. I guess that's why it is both you and I we were the company for as long as, as we have been, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. But I mean, if I can just build on that, I mean, if, if I just talk from my personal experience, um, you know, um, you know, early on in my career, um, a few times that I did tell people I was dyslexic, um, I had some really funny, funny um, reactions. Um, and um, thank goodness, um, I, I sort of had a sense of humor when I could really start laughing about it. Um, and that helped me quite a lot to, to cope through it. But I mean, if it, like for instance, I've had people slow down in how they talk to me that, you know, they go to a point of like, hi, Tiz, are you okay today? And I'm like going, uh, I'm dyslexic. I'm not slow of hearing, right? Um, and then you have people that for whatever reason, they start talking very loud. And I'm like going, mm, I don't, you know, you know, and or, you know, some weird strangest things. But let me, you know, I, I, coming back to um, one of the things that really stands out to me is that, and I want young people out there to know this, right, um, is how accepted I've been. And, and it's not just because of one environment. I've had um, in numerous environments, numerous um, working experiences, either with Cabris, with Ford, with Cummings, um, you know, even now with, with being the chief operating officer of Encona, how accepted I've been and I haven't been treated differently. Um, and it's, it's been really, really awesome. And, and I need um, young members to know that, that there are people are changing the way they see things and they want that difference because of what you have to offer. Um, and, and that's really important. Um, and I mean, Yota, I mean, the number of times I've been in meetings with you and, and with Orchid or, you know, with Peter or um, Yithin or any of the guys at board, and the meeting carries on um, and there is no, um, you know, special treatment, if I can put it that way, or differentiation. If anything, I felt welcomed, um, you know, and, and, you know, working as per as as if I was with anybody else on the same level there was no um okay hang on we need to do um you know completely do things differently um there was coping mechanisms as you mentioned um that I did and I put it in in, in place um more importantly because I was determined to succeed at what I'm I was doing um because I wanted always to prove that I have got the ability to deliver on any of my job functions um, as, as per normal like anybody else. And, and I, I learned those coping mechanisms so that I could deliver my job. And that's also important. We need to take control of who we are and what we are and, and put plans in place. Um, so, so for me, um, and this is for members that are young coming into industry, um, it, it's really important um, for you to one, understand what are your talents what is your vision, where you want to go and take control of that and start building and putting in the action plans and steps um, to get you to where you are. Um, you, there is 
people in the industry that can help you do that. But at the end of the day, it is still up to you. Um, and, and I'm a strong believer on that. Um, take control, know that you have got the ability. And I know it's tough, it's really tough. Um, but then also identify members in your organization that are willing to be your coach, be your mentor, be a sounding board so that you can hear different opinions, can help you be realistic about where you are, what you need to do differently um, and build that in. But nowhere should you ever stop, um, you know, and we've got, we've got so much to offer. Um, we definitely have. Um, I think it is just to add to that, you know, the thing here is that, yes, you are dyslexic. So you have deficits around reading and spelling, but that doesn't mean that you can't run a body shop. <laughs> and that's just the point that a person is a multifaceted person and that one thing does not define you. And I think, you know, what you said is so important. No different to me or any other female or young person I'd be talking to about reach out, go to people that you admire, ask them to be your mentor. The chances of them saying no are just about nothing. Mm -hmm. And just because you have a deficit doesn't mean you have the same uh, career aspirations and capabilities as long as you put in the work like Tess did you know that's the whole point you need to just understand that you can reach out to people asking people to mentor coach and guide you in the workplace is not a, a, a sign of weakness in any way in fact in today's environment that is seen as someone who has, has strength to take coaching to take, uh, you know, criticism and, and to build on that and to close their gaps. And I'm not talking about their learning disabilities or uh, gaps, but, you know, their gaps in terms of what they need to do in the workplace. Yeah. If I can just come in, like, you know, just about um, education, um, inclusion, diversity, and now we've very much gone focused on workplace. Um I think that we need to also remember that within education itself, we have systemic um, learning barriers built in to education. Remember that you said, Yota, education is not one size fits all. So we already start there. So if we, if we had to look at everyone um, very closely, we would quickly realize that, oh gosh, maybe there's just no hope for any of us because literally every single child that is going through school and has gone through school have faced some other challenge. They might have faced the challenge of a, a school that was very under-resourced. Now, is that not an enormous challenge to have to overcome? They might have faced the challenge of having teachers with really big classes. We have classes in South Africa where we have learners of over 70 and over 100 learners in one class, multi-grade, with one teacher. So this is what I'm saying. Um, we, we forget that there are so many challenges that people overcome successfully. 
and that an obstacle is only an obstacle if you see it as such and if you believe that it can't be overlooked. Um, I was speaking about being at EWC at Kempton uh, College and there the, the, the challenge was different. It was poverty and it was a systemic barrier to learning and it manifests in the same way, just the same way. The learners, the students that I taught at college also were so-called slow readers. It was more difficult for them to process written information. So there's the great leveler again. So at the end of the day, we realize that no, there are many, many challenges that any child and parent will need to face. It's about your attitude. It's about how you adapt to the circumstances. And something that I really want to stress for parents is to accept. Acceptance is key. The quicker you accept, the quicker that you understand that you need to reach out and ensure the kind of inclusive, educative environment for your child where they will flourish, the quicker you acknowledge that your child might need therapy, that they might need a, some form of assistive technology, the quicker you are going to bridge the gap and you're going to walk over the bridge. The more we are in denial, the more we pretend it is not there, the more we are our own impediment to finding a solution. And that is the saddest thing, is that when as a parent and as an educator, as anyone in the system, as an employer, if we suddenly start to see, no, but wait a second, if I change, if I look at it differently, if I just accept and understand, I'm going to, as you said, I'll understand that diversity is exactly that. We are all different. And if we would exclude people because we are all different, well, fine. There'll be no one studying at school. There'll be no one at university and we will have no one to employ. So the whole thing just falls flat. We have to change. And we have to look at people with a positive expectation and a realistic expectation though of what they can do and how are we going to make it happen for them? I 100% agree. I mean, why, why um, follow the norm when we are made to made unique um exactly. and to me that's really really critical um you know look at look at each other and see what talents you got to the table um and and put it into into that perspective because that's all i mean i've ever wanted is to to be treated as everybody else with my uniqueness the uniqueness i bring um and and again i've always to be quite honest i've been really grateful um in all my work experiences um, you know, like I said, we've had good laughs um, in, in many a times. Um, so that, that brings us um, to the conclusion of our chat. Um, I hope it has been informative and has given hope um, to all of those out there. Um, it's given um, more insight um, and knowledge um, and um, is bringing bring a different perspective on the topic of being dyslexic. Um, and ADHD. And I want us once again, thank you very much 
um, to my colleagues who have joined me on this. I've really appreciated it. It's been really awesome having the chat with you guys. Um, Aaron, I'd like to hand over to you. Um, is there any questions um, that members have out there that they would like us to answer? Yeah, yeah. And I think this, this first one I've gotten is from Anonymous, a senior director, who um, I think it speaks actually to the point, Sharon, you were saying the first step is acceptance uh, by parents, but I think really it's also acceptance in the workplace. So, so this one is a um, triple fold question. How do I support employees in my company that are affected? Um, can I consider them for promotions and how and what are the risks? May I just please jump in? Sure. <laughs> I'm excited to answer that. Okay. How do I support, firstly, how do I support my employer in the workplace? We have to have a transparent workplace. Transparency is key. If we aren't transparent, that means we're hiding something. Why would we want to hide that an employee has had to overcome certain challenges or things in a different way? So, but now how do we become transparent and how do we actually overleap that? Simple, education. It's all about education. It's destroying the myths. It's you have to be within your own organization. You have to be a myth buster. It's very true that there may be perceptions that people that um, have dyslexia, for example, um, are cognitively not um, the same as someone else. The exact opposite is true. As I said again, no, it doesn't work like that at all. You have, I don't like using words like smart, but I'm just gonna do that. There are some really, really incredibly smart people out there with dyslexia, for example, and there are people that are not smart. That's just how it is. It's not that kind of a disorder. We are not talking about a profound cognitive disorder in the sense that cognitive um, functioning is impaired. It's just different. And we need to make people understand that everyone can flourish, can be considered for promotion. And another thing is, why should they be considered for promotion? They should absolutely be targeted to be developed for promotion because who better to see talent in your organization than somebody whose talents have not been recognized and has to fight so hard for their talent to be recognized. So can you imagine if, for example, the person within your organization that is doing training for example, training and development. Your training and development team is crucial for the whole organization. But imagine stocking it up with people that actually um, have had to overcome these challenges and have developed a special gift and insight into seeing their own gifts. They're going to spot talent in others so quickly and be able to know how to support them. Then education, who better in your organization to educate people about diversity and overcoming barriers than the very people that have been through that 
And then we're talking not only about people that have disabilities as such, we're literally talking about, I'm saying that consider the massive disadvantage that you have just as a result of poverty, for example. Um, displacement. Think of people that are displaced through wars. So in the workplace, would I say that you were a refugee from a war-torn country? I am so sorry, but there's just not going to be room for you to develop within the organization. So you see what I'm saying here? If we start to understand that, no, um, people all come with their own baggage. We, all of us come with something that is, it needs to be unraveled, needs to be unpacked, often needs to be solved, and then we can really give it our all. But we have to dismantle prejudice. Prejudice, the only way we dismantle is a very, very strong education program at work. And yeah. encouragement, recognition, and promotion. People need to see others rise through the organization. That inspires them again to come out and say, you know, if you supported me with this and this, I think that I could unleash and I could just be so much more. And that's what we want for the organization. We want people that are going to feed their special gift into the organization and make that organization new, fresh, stronger, better, with more innovation. And, and Sharon, you're 100% right. I, I just want to quickly just add two points. Um, so, so the question was, should we or can we or how? Um, you know, so the answer is yes. Um, and I think what's really important, speaking from my perspective, um, as, as I've been working with my managers, um, I've always worked very open with my managers um, and my mentors. Um, and like, for instance, as I mentioned, Yoda was one of my mentors. Um, so what's really important is, you know, get to know your employee. Um, and this goes not only for someone who's dyslexic, right? It's, it's for everyone. Um, so but for me, um, you know, my managers got to know me really well. And, um, and I, I work with them in regards to what, what are my talents. Um, and um, interesting enough, they, they were more interested in my talents. Um, and then as, as you develop with that person, as I mentioned, um, understanding the degree of what their dyslexia is and what help they need, you support that around that. And, and it takes actually the whole concept out of the, the, the performance of the person because they can perform. And, and that's really important. People need to understand being dyslexic doesn't mean I can't do my job. And in actual fact, in some perspectives, I can do my job even better than someone else. Uh, and it sounds pretty arrogant, but I'm trying to get a very, I'm trying to get my point across. Um, and having faith, I mean, to me, it was really important um, to know that my managers had trust in me. Um, and I can confidently say that um, not once did any of my managers have no lack of trust in me. If anything, they pushed me harder to get you know, even further. Um, and I started off actually on the shop floor as a blue uh, collar worker, um, as a fitter and turner. And as I grew, 
every single step of the way, my managers um, helped me understand how could they support me? Um, you know, is it better electronics? Um, as you heard Yota, um, you know, with me asking and me taking a role in, in my, my own development, my own success, I always requested my information upfront so that I didn't have to go into a meeting and be surprised. And quite frankly, I think a lot of people don't like surprises. They, they do want the information before. So it's a, you know, it's not only just the fact that I'm dyslexic. You, you can hear I'm actually talking about tools that everyday person wants in any house. Um, and um, so, and then me joining, if I talk about just about Ford, um, I mean, I started off as an engineer with Ford um, mm. and I finished off a very successful career with Ford because I had managers who paid an interest in me, um, worked with my talents, worked with me to reach my potential. Uh, I mean, I finished off being the system plant manager, managing the Ford Ranger plant um, with the plant manager um, you know, producing the Ford Ranger. Um, so, you know, so the answer is quite simple. The answer is yes, you can promote. There shouldn't be anything that hinders the, that promotion to take place. Don't look at the person as being dyslexic. Look at the person of what their talents are and what they have going to bring to your team. Great, great. Thank you. Um, got a couple more questions here anonymous i'm going to ask yours next up um firstly from jason it's pertinent i guess how would you go about inform informing your employer that you have a disability such as also memory retrieval i think that again um we're going to go a little bit back to parenting and we go we're going to go Firstly, to acceptance. If there's acceptance from a very young age, and if from a very young age, you can understand that just because you approach things, tasks, for example, in a different way, it's okay. And it doesn't mean that you can't. You are going to start to develop a strong sense of self, um, a belief in yourself, the parent, and education is key. Um, not only the child that may have a challenge, but many other children are actually precluded from achieving their full potential because their parents or educators give them negative feedback about themselves and imprint a sense of self which is not strong and which is not positive. So I believe that in an interview, you know, to, well, not in an interview because it, it seldom actually comes up in an interview. But as if you are within an organization, firstly, remember that there's an Employee Equity Act. And this is in every single country. Um, our own constitution in South Africa um, enshrines the right um, to work um, and to be treated equally within the workplace. And Quite honestly, no employer wants to become embroiled and it would be an ugly fight, which the employer would lose, but would become want to become embroiled in any kind of a dispute where they are legally challenged because the organization is not receptive to a person and not receptive to providing support simply because they have some form of, uh, they are differently abled. So that fear 
should not prohibit a person. Remember that legislation in first the first place, legislation protects you. Um, you should, however, be open about what you can do, where you would like to go. And you should not see yourself as completely different. You're not an alien. Um, mostly people won't even have any idea unless it's a visible disability. If you um, have a visible disability, then when you go into the workplace, there's no problem. If you are in the workplace and you have um, need for a wheelchair, for example, people are going to be fine. No one is going to say, oh my goodness me, now what have we got here? Everyone's going to be fine. Why does it have to be different? Just because the kind of differently abled person that you are, people can't see with the naked eye. So you have to communicate and you have to know, believe you are safe. The country, every country actually has this legislation that protects you. And employers do not want to be seen um, to be tyrants. They want to be seen as positive. They want to be seen as um, better, building a better world. So I think in a sense for an employer, it becomes a gift because this is also your opportunity to show the kind of diversity within your company. And it's also an opportunity for the employer to grow because now you have to find out, how am I going to support this? What am I going to do? This leads to job creation because you might actually have to employ people that know how to, to actually grow your company in the right direction. So in every single way, if you look at it and you analyze it, it's one positive after another positive after another positive. It's just your attitude, change your attitude, change the way you feel about yourself, change the way you think about yourself. Don't think about yourself as having to apologize or having to hide. And that's key. So how, how, do, how do you sit in your company um, currently? How do, they, how do employees approach you? Um, you know, they've got issues. Well, well, I think, first of all, it's not always easy for a person to be forthcoming, you know, to say, well, you know, I have memory retrieval issues or I have dyslexia or I'm bipolar or any of those things. It's not, you know, I mean, there is still so much stigma out there and let's not fool ourselves. Um, the environment is changing to be more inclusive. I think as a leader, it's really important to create an inclusive environment and an environment of trust. If you as a leader create that environment of trust, people are more inclined to gravitate towards you and share with you and reach out for help. Um, I would encourage uh, people that have um, difficulties if you don't feel comfortable speaking to your own boss, for instance, go to someone in the organization that you can and you feel that you can trust to start those types of conversations in terms of help that you may need or reaching out, like we talked about coaching and mentoring. Start with that as a, as a starting uh, point because, yes, it's, it's not always easy. But I think it's all about creating an environment of trust that starts the inclusivity, etc. Of course, 
the law is on your side. We have to create an inclusive environment. But I think we know what the reality in, the, in corporates are. Um, um, and I would suggest, because not every corporate is, is the way the company that you, the company that I've worked, worked for and the companies that you've worked for, Des, we know that some environments are not as inclusive as they should be. Yeah. But I would say that would be the starting point. I would encourage you, if you feel the need, to, to reach out. Um, you know, I can just give an example of somebody in the organization that, 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 that had serious uh, mental illness issues that didn't want to come forward because of the stigma. Um, and finally, you know, softly, softly approached this person as a leader um, and assured them that that, that wouldn't uh, be something that would be held against them. And it's really helped uh, the person, the individual and us. And as a company, we also have anonymous outreach uh, which we put in place for our employees uh, to access, uh, which sure many other organizations have, have uh, similar um, um, resources. And I would say to people, you know, avail yourself of those resources. They are anonymous. Um, the company would do nothing more than keep that anonymous. And nobody um, will, you know, lose their job because they come forward and say, well, I've got attention deficit or I'm ADHD or I have dyslexia. It's against the law anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if I take it from my perspective of how I've approached it, um, I mean, one of the important points that you touched on, Yota, is that um, I've always assessed the environment. I've assessed who I'm working with in regards to, to it. How, how are they? Um, and I... And quite honestly, I adapt myself um, to that person so that I can bring my message across. So I've never brought my message across to someone in exactly the same way every single time. Um, there's no specific recipe. Um, for me, uh, I, I, I look at the person who I'm dealing with or working with um, and understand how are they, how would they receive the information? Um, and then, um, you know, take the necessary steps to bring it across. Or I would approach someone who I know I can entrust to help me bring the message across. Um, and I've, I've done that a numerous of times as well. Um, and quite honestly, I think out of all the times that I've brought my message across, I've, I think I've only had one really bad experience. Um, in, and all my other times, it's, it's always um, come across and they received very, very, very well. Um, if I can just encourage people, um, you know, and I know it's really hard, um, but, you know, as a person, the important thing you need to do, and I use it as a rule for myself, is I, I will work and judge someone for who they are in front of me. I look them in the eye and ask them who you are and, and, and get to know them. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by other people's opinions and thoughts. And I know it's, it's really, really difficult because you want to go to that person and say, oh, you know, and get some it, that's fair enough get some insight um get some feedback but at the end of the day um you know sit that person down have a proper interview with them get to know who they are and then make a decision um but don't allow it to be defined without meeting that person and getting to know them absolutely so I think we're going to do the last question for today. I realize we've run over time. 
Um, and this one, uh, Yota, I think I'm directing it to you actually, because I think you've partially answered it. Um, and it is uh, from Anonymous. Does the panel have any experience with physical disabilities leading to mental disabilities such as anxiety? And I want to expand on that. And how is it different in any way? And uh, you touched on, you know, people shouldn't be shy to come forward and say, even I've got bipolar, you know, speak to a trusted person. So, so how are physical disabilities and mental disabilities such that such as that different in any way? Well, well. The question is around, you know, physical disability leading to mental anxiety. I, I don't have specific experience of that. I will just answer that directly. But, um, you know, we employ people with physical disabilities and mental disabilities. I mean, there are many people, I think, that have mental disabilities that we don't even know about because, like I say, it's still very stigmatized. But the company very much um, encourages uh, mental health. And we actually train people in our company, um, our own employees who volunteer to train to identify um, mental uh, difficulties that people will be having. So, you know, issues related to mental health, such as anxiety, etc. cetera. Um, and they are known to all of the rest of our employees, these people, so they know that we can, that they can approach that person because that person will put them in contact with the right resources, etc. In terms of physical disability as well, you know, our buildings are set up that accommodate that. Um, we are, our IT director in our company is virtually blind. We have supplied him with all of the technologies he needs uh, to do his job, um, and he does his job extremely well. And Tez knows who I'm talking about. So. Um, in the workplace, um, you know, that's, that's, that's what we offer as a, as a company. And I think many of the big global companies offer that as well. And again, I would just encourage, you know, I saw that question and uh, often, you know, people would ask a question because it obviously personally relates to them. Um, I would encourage uh, anyone who feels um, that they have uh, mental health issues to reach out to the resources in the company. They are anonymous in companies and you, you should avail yourself of those. You know, today people are more and more openly talking about mental health issues. Um, and I think people that are, are can, you know, leaders are educating themselves in that area. And like I say, reach out to someone you trust. If you feel you can't reach out to your own leader, reach out to someone um, in the organization that you can trust, someone in HR, or avail yourself of these resources that are available. I think we started touching on a much bigger topic. Issue, okay. yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, thank you so much, everyone. Um, thank you for those that uh, that attended, and there's still quite a few people online now. We're sorry we ran over time. We will be sharing these recordings um, by tomorrow uh, at the latest Friday. We will share these recordings. I wouldn't be doing my job as marketing manager if I didn't say please follow in Kona on LinkedIn, et cetera, or sign up for our newsletter, then you'll definitely get access to it. Um, but that being said, um, I think just to wrap up today, 
um, Sharon, thank you so much for sharing your expertise specifically in education in this area. Thank you so much for giving us your time. And Yota for sharing, you know, exactly in the workplace, but not only that personally, um, examples uh, with your daughter, etc. And Tez from the team at Encona, um, we want to just say we think it's really brave of you to have done this and had this conversation out here in a live webinar. And um, we really hope it inspires a, a few people on the call. So, thank, thank you very much. Thank you, very thank you for the lovely positive comments. I'm reading the comments as they come up on the screen. And um, it's very encouraging to see such a positive response and that people actually found value. And it's really been wonderful and it's been a privilege to be invited. Thank you. Cool. Thank you very much. Have a great one, everyone. Thank you. Okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.